0: This is an audio sermon recorded at the Church of Christ at Johnson Mill in Fayetteville, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth according to the New Testament. Come worship with us Sunday mornings at 1030 at 3801 Johnson Mill Boulevard. The inspired statement of Paul here in Romans 3.28, Paul said this, Therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. So when you summarize what what Paul said, he says we're justified by faith without deeds, and that word deeds is works. That is the same Greek word, this word deeds here in Romans 3.28, as the word works in James 2.24. Check that sometime in a word study. Uh, This word's found about 172 times in your New Testament. and about 168 of those, it's translated deed or deed or works or works in the King James. So deeds here is the word works. That's what you need to remember. So Paul has said we're justified by faith without deeds or without works of law. Paul said there are works that will not justify you and I. Verse says that very plainly. Now look at the statement on the right side in the little box. Aspired statement of James in James 2 verse 24. James says you see then how that by works a man is justified and not By faith only. So James, when you sum him up, says, We are justified by works. And he concedes that faith is involved, but he says it's not by faith only, that there are works involved. Now look at these two statements. Paul says we're justified by faith without works. And James says that we're justified by works and not by faith only. That looks like a contradiction, but it's not. And why isn't it a contradiction? Because both statements are from God. And God doesn't contradict Himself. In 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, there on the back, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. All Scripture is given by inspiration of God. God is the author of all Scripture. Now, question for you. Is Romans 3.28 scripture, of course. And so really it's God saying this, isn't it? He's just using the pen of the Apostle Paul. It's God that says, therefore we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. But is James 2.24 scripture, of course it is. And all scripture is given by inspiration of God. This is really God making this statement. He's just using the pen of James, to make this statement, and God says, uh, you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. God is the author of both of these statements. So God says, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law, and God says, you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. God's the author of both statements. God does not contradict Himself. These statements will harmonize. And when we're through today, we'll harmonize them. They'll both make sense. And we will understand this, that Paul's talking about one kind of works that will not justify us, and James is talking about another kind of works without which we cannot be justified. Both statements are true. And what we need to understand is the difference in the works. Paul's talking about a different kind of works than James is, and that's the key to this. And you'll see that as we go along. Now, there's only two ways that a person can be justified in God's sight. Incidentally, the word justified means to be acquitted or declared righteous. How many of you want to be held righteous by God? How many of you want to have God look at you and say, He or she is righteous? We all do. And if you're justified, you're acquitted, you're declared righteous. A good way to remember the word justified is just as if I'd never sinned. That's what it means to be justified. Just as if I'd, justified. Just as if I'd never sinned. But there's only two ways to be righteous in God's sight, to be justified. Number one, do not ever commit a sin in your whole life. Good luck. But if you can do that, you're justified. You're righteous before God. The second way, be forgiven of all the sins that you have committed. And if you're forgiven of all the sins you've committed, you're just, you're righteous in God's sight. Those are the two ways that a person can be just before God. Let's look at these two ways, although it won't take very long on this first one. If you want to be just before God, then live your life without ever committing a sin. Jesus is the only person to ever do that. And Jesus was righteous before God, in view of the fact that He never committed a sin, not once. The Bible says He did no sin, neither was guile found in His mouth. That Christ once suffered for us, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. So Jesus is the only one that was just in this way. You and I cannot be, because if we're going to be justified in this particular way, then we can't afford to ever sin, not once. Not in our entire life. And uh, the Bible's very clear about that. Let's look at James 2 and 10 there on the back. James says, For whosoever shall keep the whole law, yet offended one point, he's guilty of all. In other words, if you live your whole life and you, you keep God's laws perfectly, but only one time in your life you slip up, let's say you tell a lie, what are you? You're a liar, and the law condemns you. You're no longer righteous. Because, folks, if you're going to be justified by the law, your works have to be perfect. You can't ever break the law. You've got to do the whole law. And that's what James has said. James agrees with Paul. You can't be justified by the law, because if you keep the whole law and offend in one point, you're guilty of all. And that's your job. If you're going to be just this way by law-keeping, then don't ever break the law of God because once you do, you're cursed. Now, Galatians 3, verse 10 to 13 is an interesting passage. Paul is going to quote from Deuteronomy 27, 26, if you're taking notes. He will quote Deuteronomy 27, 26 here in Galatians 3, 10 to 13. And what is Deuteronomy 27, 26? I don't have that on your chart. When Moses gave the law to Israel, he says to the Israelites, Cursed be he that confirmeth not all the words of this law to do them, and all the people shall say, Amen. So Moses gave them the law, and he said, You're cursed if you don't keep all of it. Israel didn't keep all of it. So what were they? Cursed. Cursed. They said, Amen. Give us the law, Moses. We'll keep it. They didn't keep it. And when you don't keep the whole law, and you even offend in one point, the law then condemns you, and the law loses all ability to save you and me. If you're going to be saved by law, you can't break law. Your works have to be perfect. That's why Paul says, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds or the works of the law, because your works have to be perfect. You can't violate even one commandment. Now let's look at Galatians uh, 3 there. He will quote, remember, from Deuteronomy 27, 26. Paul said, For as many as are of the works of the law are under the curse, for it is written, now here's Deuteronomy, for it is written, Cursed is everyone that continueth not in all things which are written in the book of the law to do them, but that no man is justified by the law on the side of God, it is evident. For the just shall live by faith, and the law is not of faith, but the man that doeth them shall live in them. Christ hath redeemed us from the curse of the law, being made a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone that hangeth on a tree. You are cursed if you don't keep the whole law. And our problem is that none of us have kept God's laws perfectly. And we're cursed. And that's why Jesus had to die and become a curse for us. If you're going to be justified by this means, never committing a sin, by keeping the law perfectly, your works have to be perfect, you keep the whole law, otherwise you're cursed. And finally you are a debtor or obligated to God to do the whole law. Look at Galatians 5, 1-4. Paul said, Stand fast therefore in the liberty wherewith Christ hath made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. That's the law. Behold, I, Paul, say unto you, that if you be circumcised, Christ shall profit you nothing. Now watch verse 3. For I testify unto every man, again unto every man, that a man, if a man be circumcised, he is a debtor to do the whole law. See that? If you're going to go back to circumcision and law keeping, you are a debtor to do the whole law. And he said, Christ has become of no effect unto you, whosoever of you are justified by the law, ye are fallen from grace. The Galatians had been taught the gospel by Christ, by Paul. They'd been shown the grace of Christ, and they'd been saved by grace. And now some Judaizers had come down out of Judea and had told these Galatian Christians that unless they were circumcised and kept Moses' law, they couldn't be saved. And so they swallowed that lie. They they were circumcised, and they were trying to keep the law. And Paul wants them to know that when you go back to circumcision and law-keeping, you are a debtor to do the whole law. Because if you're going to be justified by law, you can't break it. And this is what Paul meant, brothers and sisters, when he said, We conclude a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law or the works of the law, because if you're going to be justified by the law, your works have to be perfect. And James understood that. Whoever keeps the whole law and offends in one point, he's guilty of all. And if you ever violate the law, then it condemns you. This way of being justified is out. You and I cannot be justified this way. First of all, those of us that are older have already broken His laws. And so we can't possibly now go back and try to keep the law and be justified by it. We've already broken it. We're unrighteous. We're already in need of grace. See? And nobody can be justified this way. Now that just leaves one other way. If we're ever going to be righteous in the sight of God, the other way is to be forgiven of all the sins that you've committed. If a person is forgiven of everything they've ever done, they are just, they are righteous, because there's nothing on their record. And this is the way you and I are going to have to be justified in God's sight, is to be forgiven of everything. We cannot keep His law perfectly. Our works are not perfect. And so now we're going to need salvation that God offers. God is willing to forgive us. He's willing to forgive anybody in the human race. But in order to do that, God has got to extend grace. So if you and I are going to be saved, if we're going to be justified in God's sight, we're going to need God's grace, and that word grace just means favor. And God is willing to extend grace to us, and we're justified by this grace. Look at Romans 3 and verse 24. The Bible says being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. We're justified freely by God's grace. That word freely means without a cause on our part. Understand that. If you're justified in God's side, it's without a cause on your part. In other words, God doesn't have to offer grace. Folks, listen. God could have looked at the human race and He could have said this. I gave these people my laws. I told them to keep my commandments. I told them that the wages of sin is death. And every one of them has sinned and come short of my glory. Every person has sinned against me. And he could have sent every one of us to the lake of fire. He could have said, I'm washing my hands of the human race. I'm through with them. And could have sent you and I to the lake of fire. And God would have been just. And he could have washed his hands of all of us. And just moved on with whatever else he wanted to do. But for whatever reason, he loves us. And we don't need to think uh, too highly of ourselves. We're not all that lovable. I know we think we are. We're all lawbreakers. We're criminals in God's sight. We're unholy. The Bible says there's none righteous. No, not one. That all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And that the wages of sin is death. But God loves us, and He wanted to extend His grace and offer you and I forgiveness. And when you've got to have God's grace, then these works of righteousness are no longer involved. And that's Titus chapter 3, if you'll read with me, verse 5 to 7. Listen, Titus 3, 5 to 7. Not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to His mercy He saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. So it's not by works of righteousness that we've done. It's according to His mercy that we're justified by His grace. What does He mean, not by works of righteousness which we have done? He means perfectly keeping the law. These are the only works right here that will make you righteous in God's sight, by themselves, without grace. Keep the law of God perfectly. But it's not by works of righteousness which we have done, it's according to His mercy He saved us, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which He shed on abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, that being justified by His grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. And so we've got to have God's grace. Now, if we've got to have God's grace to save us, and we do, we've got to have mercy. God doesn't have to give it, but He does give it. And if we've got to have that, then it's no longer works, and there's no boasting on our part. Once you've got to have God's grace, you don't have a thing in the world, and I don't either to brag about. Because were it not for grace, we couldn't be saved. And that's Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, if you'll read. This is a misunderstood passage. For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. What does he mean, not of works? Not of these works of the law, not of perfect works, lest any man should boast. Because you see, the only works that you and I can can boast about would be perfect works. If our works are not perfect, like Jesus' works were, we can't boast before God, and none of us have perfect works. And here's what I'm trying to get us to see. That if you've got to have God's grace to save you, and you do, there is no boasting. It's not of works. And when he said not of works, he didn't mean mean any works at all. He meant these perfect works in keeping the law. It's not of works, lest any man should boast. Those are the only works a person could boast about. Because if I've sinned, and I do works over here, that might be involved in justification, I can't boast about that because those works are connected with grace. But these works right here are perfectly keeping the law. We don't have them, and if we did, we could boast. In other words, we could come before God, and we could say, you owe me righteousness. We could come before God on the day of judgment and demand that He let us into heaven. And if He should say, why are you saying that? We could say, I've never transgressed your law. I've never sinned. I'm righteous." And we could brag about that. The problem is none of us can brag because all have sinned, and we don't have those perfect works. Not of works, not those works, lest any man should boast. What have we said thus far? God's willing to forgive us, He can do that because He extends grace. That leads me to the next thing now. God is willing to forgive you and I because He can extend grace, but God can extend grace only because of the shedding of Jesus' blood. And without Jesus' blood being shed, there is no grace. If it were not for the shed blood of Jesus, God couldn't offer grace to the human race. Could not. That blood is that critical. Let's talk about that. You know, uh, as we watch presidential elections every four years, Uh, When a president serves out his term, if he fails to get elected for a second term or if he serves a second term and, and fulfills his office and then has to finally step down after two terms, there's usually something that a president does after his final term in office. He starts issuing a bunch of presidential pardons right before he leaves office. You ever notice that? Boy, there's some doozies too. He takes criminals. Criminals that are convicted in our court system and he turns them loose on the streets. Hey, we've had presidents that have turned terrorist terrorists loose on us. Murderers. And he'll issue them a presidential pardon. He may have political reasons for doing that. There might be kickbacks, paybacks, political favors, or whatever it is. But he issues a political, I mean, a, a presidential pardon. And that person is, is pardoned, and they're let back out on the streets. And when they are by a president, and he can only do that for federal crimes, but when they're let back on the streets, they don't have a record. They're just as perfectly clean on their record as you and I may be. That presidential pardon wipes their record out. They're pardoned. He, just, he justifies them. He quits them right there. They're pardoned. But I want to ask you all something. Is that justice? That's not justice. You see, God can't operate this way. God operates different than man does. Presidents can pardon like that, and they issue these pardons, but there's no justice in that. These are people that should be still serving their term, their sentence. But they're pardoned. But God can't look at the human race and say, All right, all these people have sinned against me, but I love them, and I'm going to issue a pardon to every one of them. God can't do that. Why? Because God has decreed that the wages of sin is death, and that penalty's got to be paid, and God can't change that. You see, God has to punish every sin. He never lets one sin go that we commit, not one. An evil thought, a bad word, an evil deed, all of that has to be punished. And why? What's the penalty? Death. Somebody's got to pay. Somebody's got to die because God's made that decree, and He can't change on that. So He's perfect in justice. He has to punish sin. And that's why Jesus' blood comes into play. The blood is the life. Well, the first things God said to Noah when he got off the ark, don't eat the blood of any flesh. The blood is the life of the flesh. We're taught that under the law of Moses. Don't eat blood under the patriarchal age in Noah's day, don't eat blood. And now we learn in Acts chapter 15 in the New Testament, Acts chapter 20, even the New Testament forbids you and I to eat blood because blood's the life of the flesh. And in order to forgive sins, God requires shedding of blood and you and I are justified by blood. And that's why God can extend grace. Let's read some scriptures in that regard. Romans 5 and verse 9. Paul said, much more then, being now justified by His blood, we shall be saved from wrath through Him. God's angry at the human race. See that salvation there from wrath? We're saved from wrath because of Jesus' blood. God's mad at the human race. And if it were not for the blood of Jesus, He'd still be mad at us, those of us that have been forgiven through that blood. But that blood takes away His anger and removes His wrath and enables God to justify us. And that's why God can't extend grace without the shedding of Jesus' blood. Over on the front side, you'll see a top picture there, and off to the right of it, you'll see 1 Corinthians 15, verse 1 to 4, that's the gospel. I didn't have room for the word moreover at the front, and I had a little phrase down on the end I didn't have room for, so I put some, some dots there. But the passage says this, Moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you, which also ye have received and wherein ye stand, by which also ye are saved, if you keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered unto you first of all that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. Paul said the gospel is this, that Christ died for our sins, that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day. That's the good news, the gospel. And there's the picture of it there in that top picture on the front. Christ died for our sins, not His. He was buried and He rose again the third day, and that's why we preach the gospel. We preach to the world good news. And that good news is Christ died for your sins. Christ was buried and Christ rose the third day according to the scriptures and that's the good news that the world needs to hear. It truly is good news. And this death of Jesus and the shedding of His blood is what enables God to extend grace. Because this blood enables God, listen, it enables God to be just when He justifies us. Now, I want to stop there and mention that to you a little bit. Here's a question for you, how can God be just or righteous and justify the unjust? How can God be just and justify those that are unjust? You see when God justifies you and I, He has to be righteous in doing it. He can't just issue like a presidential pardon, that's not righteous, that's not justice, see? He can't operate that way. The debt's got to be paid, and that's where Jesus comes in. And because Jesus shed his blood, then God can be just in forgiving sins. It's what enables him to be so. Romans 3, verse 24 to 26, very important verses. I wish I had about 10 minutes or more to talk on this. I don't. Let's read it. Verse 24 being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God has set forth to be a propitiation through faith in His blood, to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God, to declare, I say, at this time, His righteousness, that He might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Let's analyze these three verses. They're very, very critical. Verse 24, he says again, we're justified freely by God's grace. That means without a cause on our part. Justified by grace. And he says that... Uh, God has set forth Jesus to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. What does all that mean? God has set forth Christ to be a propitiation. What is that long word right there? Propitiation. Anybody know? If you're going to understand Romans 3.25, you'll never understand it without knowing what this word is. To propitiate means to conciliate. It means to reconcile. And what Jesus did when He was offered on the cross, He appeased became an atoning sacrifice that appeases the anger and wrath of God, satisfies the penalty of the law, death. When He shed His blood, in other words, Jesus died for our sins, He paid our debt, so that when we put faith in that blood, that blood becomes a propitiation, an atoning sacrifice that appeases God's anger and enables God to be just when He forgives us. You see, when God forgives you and I, He forgives us because our sins have not been let go, they've been paid for by Jesus. And since they're paid for, you and I can be released and forgiven. And God didn't let us go free. He punished our sins in Jesus. That's the whole scheme of salvation. And so when we put faith in this blood then, it it lifts God's anger from off of us. It enables God to justify us and be just while He does it. It satisfies the debt that we owe for our sins. The wages of sin is death. So he doesn't let that sin go. Now, look at the passage there. I'm going to give you a little extra on this while we're on it. Whom God has set forth, verse 25, to be a propitiation through faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. What does that mean? God set forth forth Jesus to be a propitiation when we have faith in His blood to declare His righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Let me give you a good example. God justified Abraham back under the old law, or back before the law. Abraham was not righteous of his own. Abraham was a liar. Did you know that? Read Genesis 12. Read Genesis 20. He lied about Sarah being his His sister, not his wife, tried to conceal the fact that she was his wife. She was a half-sister. Abraham did some lying back there, but yet God justified Abraham and forgave him. What did David do under the law? David committed adultery and murder. And God sent Nathan the prophet and said, The Lord's put away your sin, David. You'll not die. Now that's not justice. How could He forgive David for adultery and murder? Because up ahead God saw Calvary. And He saw the time when Jesus would come into this world and that He would go to the cross bearing the sins of the world. David's adultery and David's murder were laid on Jesus that day at Calvary. And Jesus shed His blood. And when Jesus shed His blood, God declared His righteousness, that He was just, in the forgiveness of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. In other words, when God gave Abraham, I'm sure the angels wondered back there, how can He do that? Because they'd seen their fellow angels kicked out of Heaven for sinning. And when He forgave David for murder and adultery, surely the angels were thinking, how can He forgive David? Look what He's done. But you see, God saw Calvary up ahead, and He saw the time when His Son would pay the debt Abraham and for David and for all people back under that Old Testament age. And so he set forth Christ to be a propitiation through faith in his blood to declare his righteousness or his justice for the remission of sins that are passed through the forbearance of God. God proved at Calvary that he was just that he was righteous when he forgave people under the old law. Now verse 26, to declare I say at this time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. So here's Pat Manon over here on this side of the cross. And God's got to be righteous when he forgives me. He forgives me because of Calvary. He declares at this time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. The only reason God can be just in forgiving me or you is because Jesus paid her debt at Calvary. He's the propitiation for our sins. And that enables God then to extend grace and forgive us. Now here's what I've said. God's willing to forgive every human being. He can do that because of His grace and He can extend grace because of the blood of Jesus Christ and for no other reason. That leads us to the next thought. These are all connected. God is willing to forgive any human being on earth. That sinned against Him. He offers grace to every person. Jesus shed His blood for every person on earth. Why then isn't everybody saved? Why? Because not everybody has faith. Faith in Jesus' blood gives you access to God's grace. Let me say that again faith in Jesus' blood is what gives you access to God's grace. Look now at Romans 5, 1 and 2. Stay with me on this. Stay with me. It's very important. We need to understand it. Romans 5, 1 and 2. Therefore, being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Now notice, by whom also we have access by faith into this grace when we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. We have access by faith into this grace when we stand. Do you see what gives you access to grace? It's faith. Why isn't the world saved today? They don't believe the gospel. They don't have faith in the blood of Jesus. Faith in that blood gives you access to God's grace that results in forgiveness by whom also we have access by faith into this grace when we stand and rejoice in hope of the glory of God. And so we've got to have faith to have access to grace. And since we've got to have faith, that rules out these perfect works of the law. Galatians 2.16, would you read? Paul said, knowing that a man is, is not justified by the works of the law but by the faith of Jesus Christ, Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. When when you're justified by faith, that rules out works. I'm talking about these perfect works of keeping the law perfectly. Knowing that a man is not justified by the works of the law, these perfect works But by the faith of Jesus Christ, even we have believed in Jesus Christ, that we might be justified by the faith of Christ and not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law shall no flesh be justified, because those have to be perfect, see. And we don't have the perfect works. The law, we're told, was a schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. The whole purpose of God's law is designed to tell us what sin is and to show us all that we've committed it and to drive us to Jesus for mercy. And in Galatians 3, 24, 25, he said, Wherefore the law is our schoolmaster to bring us unto Christ that we might be justified by faith. But after that faith is come, we're no longer under the schoolmaster. So the whole purpose of the law back here then was to point out what sin is. By law is the knowledge of sin. And, and knowing what sin is, then we become convicted that we've committed it. And that drives us over to Jesus then. For grace and for a remedy and for the shedding of His blood in order to obtain forgiveness. You know, when people go back to the law trying to be saved, that law, if if they'll look at it correctly, it'll drive them straight to Jesus. That's what the law is meant to do. It's the schoolmaster to bring you to Christ so you can really be justified. Now stay with me, brothers and sisters. God's willing to forgive every one of us of sin. He can do that by His grace which He can offer because of Christ's blood, and we access God's grace by faith in that blood. Put this way, when we have faith in the blood of Christ, we have access to God's grace that results in forgiveness. Now here's the next question that follows. The faith in Jesus' blood that gives us access to God's grace, is that a faith with works or a faith without works? And if it's the works of the law, it's a faith without works because those works are excluded. We cannot keep the law perfectly. But James tells us we are justified by works, and therefore the faith that gives us access to God's grace has to be accompanied with works of some kind. They're just not perfect works of keeping the law. And I want James to explain that to us, really God to. Turn on the back side to James chapter 2. I'm going to ask you this afternoon to forget everything you've heard about works. We've got people today, religious people, preachers everywhere that say no works are involved in salvation. That is nonsense. They ignore what James says. James says, you see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. But James is not talking about the works Paul's talking about. The works Paul's talking about are works of perfectly keeping the law, and we can't be justified that way. James isn't talking about those kind of works. He's talking about works that are appointed of God where we demonstrate faith. And so let's let the Lord talk to us through James here about works. Give me some time, and let's look at these verses closely. James 2, verse 14. James asked the question, What doth it profit, my brethren, though a man say he hath faith and hath not works? Can faith save him? If a brother or sister be naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you say unto them, Depart in peace, be ye warmed and filled, notwithstanding you give them not those things which are needful to the body, what doth it profit? Even so faith, if it hath not works, is dead being alone. Let's talk about that. Look at James's question in verse 14. He asks, what does it profit if a man says he has faith and he doesn't have works? Can just his faith without his works, can his faith save him? Answer, no. James says no, emphatically no. Faith alone, he says, cannot save him. And then he gives us a situation to illustrate the uselessness of faith without works. He says, uh, If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food and one of you say to them, Depart in peace, be you warmed and filled, and you give them not the things that are needful to the body, what does it profit? Picture somebody knocking on your door or ringing your doorbell, and you open your door and you look and it's a brother or sister, and you look at them and they're very scantily clad, almost naked. Inside your home, your closets are running over with clothes. You've got exactly what they need in your home to clothe them properly and to cover their nakedness. You look at them closely and uh, it's obvious they hadn't eaten in a while, they're hungry. Inside your home, your pantries are running over with food, your cabinets are full, your refrigerator and freezer. You've got food everywhere in the house as most of us do. You could very easily satisfy their hunger. You've got clothes and you've got food But instead of giving that to them, you just shut the door and you say to them, good luck, brother, good luck, sister. I hope you get some clothes to put on and I hope you get some food to eat. Good luck to you. What did that profit? Nothing. And that's James's point. That's how faith is without works. Faith without works is like a naked person without clothes or a hungry person without food. It doesn't profit anything. See his point? He goes on though. Verse 18, Yea, a man may say, Thou hast faith, and I have works. Show me thy faith without thy works, and I'll show thee my faith by my works. And what he's trying to tell us here is, you can't demonstrate faith without works. One of you, if you will, show us your faith without works. You see, we demonstrate our faith by our works. I've used this illustration before. My, my mother would not fly on an airplane. She didn't believe in flying on an airplane. You know why? She wouldn't get on one. Didn't have any works. Mom didn't trust them. She wouldn't board a plane. You can't demonstrate faith without works. The best, one of the best Bible examples I could give you, if you're wanting to take some notes on this, would be Luke 5. Luke 5 the story of the palsied man. Remember, men were carrying on a bed a a man that was taken with a palsy. That means he was paralyzed. Jesus was in the house teaching. They could not get the man into into Jesus' presence. Uh, They knew that Jesus could heal him. They had faith. The man had faith. But the doors were jammed, and the windows were jammed, and Jesus was in the house, and they couldn't get to Him. So they went up on the roof and tore the tiling back, and they let the whole bed down into the room where Jesus was. Luke that recorded this says this, when he saw their faith, he said, man, thy sins be forgiven thee. How did Jesus see their faith? By their works. They tore the roof off the building. And that's James's point. Show me your faith without your works. He said, I'll show you my faith by my works. You cannot demonstrate faith without works. That's the point we need to understand. As James moves on now, verse 19, he said, Thou believest there is one God, thou doest well. The devils also believe and tremble, but wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? How many of you believe that the devil believes in God and in Jesus? Of course he does. James says the devils believe and tremble. Does the devil believe Jesus, Son of God? Yes, yes. Does he believe he died on the cross and rose the third day and ascended back to the Father's right hand and sits on God's right hand as Lord in Christ? Yes, he believes all that. Does the devil believe Jesus coming back to earth one day to resurrect the dead, render judgment on everybody, punish the unrighteous, and take the righteous to an everlasting home? He believes every bit of that. Is the devil saved? He's got faith. Now, the devils believe and they tremble. And James's point is, Wilt thou know, O vain man, that faith without works is dead? If faith without works would save you, it'd save the devil. He's got faith. And then he gives two great illustrations for us. Watch these closely. Look at, look at verse 21 to 24 now. Let's read. James says, Was not Abraham our father justified by works? when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect? And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Let's talk about Abraham a minute. James gives a great example. Abraham, Abraham, back in the book of Genesis, came to God one day and he said, I don't have any heir. Who am I going to leave everything to that I possess? He said, I've got this servant. Is my servant going to inherit all that I have? And God tells him, no, Sarah's going to have a son. And this son, of course, would be named Isaac. And he said, Abraham, I want you to look up into the heavens now. Tell me the number of the stars if you can, Abraham. Number those stars for me. He said, that's going to be the number of your descendants through Isaac. Abraham, uh, count the sand, the grains of sand along the seashore. Number those grains of sand for me if you will. That's going to be the number of your descendants through Isaac. The Bible says in Genesis 15 and 6, Abraham believed God and it was imputed unto him for righteousness and he was called the friend of God. You know, sure enough, Sarah had that child just like Abraham was promised. When Abraham was 100 years old and when Sarah was 90, she gave birth to her firstborn, Isaac. And here's the child now that's going to produce Abraham descendants. That's you and I really, spiritually through Christ, that will produce descendants that will number the stars and the sand in multitude and in number. The lad was circumcised at eight days. He was nourished as a baby and then finally weaned and he grew up into a fine lad. And one day, a few years later, God came to Abraham. He said, Abraham, I want you to take Isaac, your only son. I want you to take him over here to this place that I'm going to tell you about. And there I want you to offer him to me for a burnt offering. Now look what he's asking Abraham to do. Take this boy that's going to produce all these descendants And he said, I want you to take him over here and kill him. The Bible says that Abraham got up early the next morning, not late. He couldn't wait to get up. He got up. He gathered up some wood for a fire. He gathered up fire. He took Isaac. He took some servants. And they went over here to this very place, about a three-day journey or so over here. When he gets to the spot, he tells his servant, He said, we want you to wait right here. Me and the lad's going to go yonder and worship, and then we'll be back. In essence, what he said to Abraham was, I'm going to take Isaac up here, and I'm going to kill him, then I'm going to burn him for a burnt offering, and then me and the boy's going to come back. Wait on us. Because he believed so strongly in this promise, he believed God that he was willing to kill this boy and burn him as an offering to God because he knew if he did that God would raise that boy from the dead because this boy is going to produce him all these descendants and Abraham believes that. So he left the servant and he and Isaac went up to this spot and they took stones and put them together and they made themselves an altar and they carried the wood up there. He lays the wood up on the altar and then he binds Isaac hands and feet and lays him up on the, the wood there and Isaac says you know behold the Behold, the fire and the altar and the wood, where's the sacrifice? And Abraham says, well, God will provide a sacrifice. So he binds him and lays him there. And Abraham raises his knife to come down on Isaac to kill him. And God stopped him. And God said, now I know. Now I know you believe. You see, he demonstrated his faith by his works. That's what God wanted done. These were works appointed of God to demonstrate faith. Go back to James two twenty one in the reading. Now read it. Was not Abraham our father justified by works? Now these weren't works of perfectly keeping law. See, these were the works James is talking about, works appointed of God to demonstrate faith. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he'd offered Isaac his son upon the altar? Seeest thou how faith wrought with his works, and by works was faith made perfect or complete? And the scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. You see then how that by works a man is justified, and not by faith only. Now, do you see what the works are that the Bible says are necessary to justification? They are works appointed of God to demonstrate faith. Abraham was justified by works, folks, but it wasn't works of perfectly keeping God's law. It was works appointed of God to demonstrate faith. Then he gives another example, verse 25. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers and sent them out another way. Let's talk about Rahab the harlot for just a moment. Who is she? Well, she's actually in the lineage of Jesus. Talk about that in just a minute, but what James is referring to is, here's the, uh, here's the Jordan River, Sea of Galilee. The Jordan comes down and dumps in the Dead Sea. Israel has wandered in the wilderness now for 40 years, and that generation has died off. And finally, Moses led Israel around the east side of the Dead Sea, and they camped right here in the plains of Moab. God called Moses up into a high mountain, lets him view the promised land over here, but He wouldn't let him enter. He left that uh, charge to Joshua. Joshua would lead them in. The children of Israel, there are seven nations that occupy the land of Canaan here, and they've got to go in and conquer this land, and the first city they're going to conquer is the city of Jericho over here on the West Bank. But Joshua and them decide before they conquer Jericho, it would be a good idea to send spies in there and check it out. But Jericho, let me draw a bigger picture of it here. Jericho was a fortified city it had huge walls and those those walls were strong and the gates were shut and the bible says nobody came in nobody went out but joshua sent a couple of israeli spies over here and somehow they slipped in but they were detected now these walls in these cities were so large that houses were on top of them at times and there so happened to be on the on the in a house on top of the wall lived a prostitute a harlot by the name of rahab and these spies slipped into her house and she hid them up in her attic. Well, the men of the city had seen these Israeli spies come in, and, and so they went to this prostitute's house and they said, Have you seen a couple of Israeli spies? And now she could have delivered those spies to them. Said, Yeah, I've got them in my attic. You can have them. They're hiding up here. Instead, she told them in, Yes, I've seen them. They went that away. And if you hurry, you can catch them. And she sent them off on a wild goose chase. She got the two spies down out of her attic, and she says to them, look, I showed mercy to you. Uh, she says, we know Jericho's doomed. I'm paraphrasing. We know this city's going down. We saw what your God did to, to the Egyptians at the Red Sea 40 years ago. We, we heard about that. We saw when you crossed around the east side of the Dead Sea, we saw what your God did to the kings of Ammon and Moab over here and how he destroyed them. And we know this city's doom. Promise me that when you come to destroy this city that you'll spare me and my family. And they said, look, you get in this house and you run a scarlet cord out your window. Get your family in here. And when we come and attack this city, we will spare anybody in the house where there's this scarlet cord. You know the story of how they walked around that city once a day for And then on the seventh day, seven times, and they blew the trumpets and shouted with a shout, and the walls fell down. Rahab the harlot had gotten her family into this house, and they saw the scarlet ribbon, and everyone in this house was saved. And that's what James is talking about. And incidentally, this harlot that was spared and became part of Israel is in Jesus' bloodline. If you think you've got some bad family members and characters in your family tree, Jesus has a prostitute in his. And she's mentioned in Hebrews 11, the great hall of fame of faith, along with Noah and Abel and Isaac and Jacob and all those great people there in Hebrews 11. She's a woman of faith. Now, she wasn't justified by works of the law. This woman was a whore. She sold her body. So she did not have perfect works, but she was justified by works. But these are different works. Read 25 again. Likewise also was not Rahab the harlot justified by works when she had received the messengers. See, sent them out safe and sound. So she wasn't, she wasn't saved by perfectly keeping law, but by works appointed of God to demonstrate faith. Now he's given us Abraham and Rahab to show us that works are involved. We are justified, folks, by works, but they're not works of perfect law-keeping. They are works appointed of God to demonstrate faith. Verse 26, and we'll end with James. For as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. What do we do with the body when our spirit leaves it? We bury it. It's dead. It's useless. When Elvis Presley died, contrary to what many believe, he is buried. The body's no good. Everybody might have swooned over him at one time, but when his spirit left the body, it's no good. Same thing with Marilyn Monroe or anybody else you want to think about. When our spirit leaves the body, it's useless. As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without works is dead also. See that? A body without a spirit is like faith without works. Faith without works is like a body without a spirit. It's useless. And now we know then. And here's what we've said thus far. God's willing to forgive us of our sins. He can do that because He extends grace. He extends grace because of Jesus' blood. We gain access to that grace through faith in that blood, but it's a faith accompanied by works. Let me put it this way. When we have a faith that's accompanied by works, The faith in Christ's blood, that gives us access to God's grace that results in the forgiveness of our sins. And here's the final question now. What is the work that accompanies our faith when we're seeking to be children of God, when we're wanting to be justified and be forgiven? What's the work that God's appointed to express faith in Jesus' blood? And the answer is baptism. Baptism. That's the work that God appointed. Jesus understood this because He commanded it in the Great Commission. Stay with me. Mark 16. Mark 16, 15, and 16. He said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. He that believeth not shall be damned. Turn around to the front side with me. Look at the top picture. There's the gospel. Jesus said, go preach the gospel to every creature. What's the gospel? Christ died for our sins, was buried, and rose the third day, according to the scriptures. Now, Jesus said, he that will believe that and be baptized will be saved. See, So the Lord made baptism essential. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. The apostle Paul agrees with James about these works, just like Jesus does because Paul says that it's in baptism that we get this justification. It's in baptism that we're justified. And look here at the top picture, and off to the right, you'll see Romans 6, verse 3 to 7. Let's read that together. Paul said, Know ye not that so many of us as were baptized into Jesus Christ were baptized into His death? Therefore we are buried with Him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we've been planted together in the likeness of His death, we shall be also in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. So Paul says that When we're baptized, we're baptized into Christ's death, we're buried with Him, and we're raised to walk in newness of life. Look at the top picture, the Gospel. The death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. And now the bottom here is illustrated. God has appointed baptism where you and I can demonstrate faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Listen, baptism is a work, but it's not a work of merit. I hear brethren sometimes trying to shy away from saying baptism is a work. Don't be, don't be guilty of that. We're justified by works. That's what James says. Quit running from that. That's the truth. It's the other people that ignore James. We shouldn't ignore James. We're not justified by works of perfect law keeping. Paul's right. But we are justified by works, and God has appointed baptism as a work to demonstrate faith in the death, burial, and resurrection. And here's how it works. God says to you and I, in essence, do you believe my son died for your sins? Then will you die with him in the act of baptism? Will you have your old man crucified with him? Will you die with Jesus? Because we're baptized into his death. God says, do you believe in the burial of my son, that he was buried? Then will you be buried with him by baptism? Will you demonstrate that you believe that? Will you be buried with him? God says, do you believe my son rose the third day, according to the scriptures? Then will you demonstrate that by rising with him out of the waters of baptism to walk in newness of life? In other words, folks, he has appointed baptism as the work whereby we express our faith in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and that gives us access to God's grace that results in forgiveness. We are not earning salvation. That work is a work appointed of God to demonstrate faith. Abraham didn't earn his salvation. God appointed the work of offering Isaac. Rahab did not earn her salvation. God, of course, gave her the opportunity to hide these spies, and she took advantage of it and hid those messengers. And the Bible says she was justified by works, just like Abraham was. God's not asking you and me to hide Israeli spies in our attic. He's not asking you and I to offer our only Son as a burnt offering to Him, He's asking you and me to be baptized to demonstrate that we believe in the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and that's all baptism is. So many people today are running from that, and brethren are saying, trying to get around the fact that it is a work, listen, baptism is a work, but not a work of merit. It's a work appointed of God to demonstrate faith. And so here's what I've said to you this afternoon. Faith in Jesus' blood, that's a faith that's accompanied by the work of baptism. Faith in that blood gives you access to God's grace that results in forgiveness of sins. It's really that simple. And now that's concluded with a few more remarks. I want you to look at Romans 6 over there to the right where I've got the Scripture typed out on the front. And right after verse 7, do you see verse 7? He that is dead is freed. I put that word freed there in red print. Freed from sin. The Greek word for freed there is dikayoo, Strong's number 1344. But look at the American Standard Version. I put its translation here for you. For he that hath died is justified from sin. The King James says... He that is dead is freed from sin." That word freed, folks, in the King James. Now, catch this. The word freed in Romans 6, 7, in the King James, is the same word justified in James 2 and in Romans three twenty That is the word for justified. The translators of the King James translated it freed. The American Standard translators translated it as it should have been, justified. He that is dead is justified from sin. Leland, for years I looked for a passage that could connect baptism and justification. I had it in the Bible all along. But it was translated freed in the King James, and I didn't catch it until I did a word study. The word freed is the word for justified. That is the same Greek word. And down here at the bottom under the very bottom picture there under the resurrection picture, You'll see that word freed, Romans 6, 7. That is the word justified, the American Standard Version. That is Yoo Strong's 1344. He that is dead is justified from sin. In other words, in baptism is where we're justified because that's where we die to sin, and that's where we're buried, and that's where we rise to walk in newness of life. One final scripture, and that's Acts 22, and I'll let you go. Back backside, this is the conversion of Saul of Tarsus. You'll remember Paul is on his way to Damascus now to arrest Christians that are converting from Judaism to to Christ up there in those synagogues. And he says in verse 6, It came to pass that as I made my journey and was come nigh to Damascus about noon, suddenly there shone from heaven a great light round about me, And I fell unto the ground, and heard a voice saying unto me, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And I answered, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, I am Jesus of Nazareth, whom thou persecutest. And they that were with me saw indeed the light, and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him that spake to me. And I said, What shall I do, Lord? And the Lord said unto me, Arise, and go into Damascus. And there it shall be told thee of all things which are appointed for thee to do. Let me stop right there. Do you think Paul at this point believes in Jesus Christ? Does he have faith? Yeah. He has seen Jesus. He's talking to him, and the Lord's talking to him. And uh, he said, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And Saul knew it was the Lord, but he didn't know Jesus was Lord. He said, Who art thou, Lord? He said, I'm Jesus. And then he said, Lord, what will you have me to do? Now the Lord didn't answer the question exactly. He, he told him, He said, you go into the city, you go into Damascus, and there it will be told you what you must do. At that point, Jesus obligated Himself to get word to Saul about what He had to do to be saved because He didn't forgive him right there. He said, you go into the city, and there it will be told you what you must do. So look at verse 11 now. In Acts uh, 22, Paul said, "When I could not see for the glory of that light, being led by the hand of them that were with me, I came into Damascus. And one Ananias, a devout man according to the Jews, having a report of all the Jews which having a good a good report of all the Jews which dwelt there, came unto me and stood and said unto me, Brother Saul, receive thy sight. And the same hour I looked up upon him." And he said, "The God of our fathers have chosen thee, that thou shouldest know see that just one, and shouldest know his will. See that just one, and shouldest hear the voice of his mouth, for thou shalt be his witness unto all men of what thou hast seen and heard." And now why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, and wash away thy sins, calling on the name of the Lord. When Jesus sent word to Paul. When He said, Go into the city, and there it will be told you what you must do, He sent a messenger named Ananias. What did He have Ananias tell Him? Arise, and be baptized, and wash away your sins, calling on the name of the Lord. Jesus understood that works are involved in salvation because He sent Ananias to tell Saul to be baptized, see. James understood that. He says we're justified by works. And Paul understood it because he wrote about it in Romans 6 and tells his own story of conversion here in Acts 22. James and Jesus and Paul are all in agreement that we're justified by works. But we're not justified by works of the law. Paul's right. Those works have to be perfect. James and Jesus and Paul are talking about works appointed of God to demonstrate faith. Here is the bottom line once again. Faith accompanied by the work of baptism, faith in the blood of Jesus, accompanied by that work of baptism, gives you access to God's grace that results in forgiveness of your sins. We hope you enjoyed this teaching from God's Word. To receive new sermons each week, subscribe on Google Play Music, iTunes, Spotify, and like us on Facebook. Thanks for listening, and God bless.